This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This podcast is scheduled for 10 questions. Fighting! Out of New York, standing at 5 feet 11 inches tall, and wearing the red, white, and blue trunks, presenting Kyle Grant! Thank you, Bruce, and thank you for everyone listening, everyone watching. Another episode of 10 Questions, and it's going to be a good one. If you haven't heard any other episodes we've done, it's simple. It's just like the name implies. We have 10 questions for our contestants. They are trivia-based questions with the right or wrong answer. If they get the question right, they get the point. They get the question wrong, they don't get anything. And then in the wake of it, we reveal how it is somehow tied to their life. We peel the layers back. And every contestant leaves this show, not with a T-shirt or mouse pad or anything. They leave with a final score, which will be tattooed to them and their reputation and compared against all the other contestants. And this contestant today is really, really, really special. I'm fired up to do it. Let's waste no more time right now. Give me the contestant intro music, if you please. This gentleman, I think, is by far the best athlete we've had on the show. And that is despite him once admitting that he made all three outs of an inning in his charity softball game. He loves the Chiefs and the Royals. He has a brilliant yet top-secret idea for a Hallmark Channel Christmas movie. He credits most of his influence for Ant-Man to uh, 80s new wave singer Adam Ant. And he's an unbelievably good texter. Just the best texter you could ever correspond with. His name is Paul Rudd. Paul, welcome to 10 Questions. Oh, Kyle, I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to answer the questions. I'm thankful for that wonderful introduction. Although I would uh, also say, I think contestants leave here with more than just a score. They leave here with memories. And I'm excited <laughs> to share some of those with you today. The more you know, Paul, we're going to turn this into a PSA. Yeah. 2020, Paul, great year, an all-time underrated year. Oh, one of the best. One of the best. Give me another year that compares. Goat year, 2020. Paul, how's your 2020 been? <laughs> uh, been I've been inside a lot. Um, I've worn more masks this year than ever before. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, it started off great. I got to say, I was a real fan of the way this year started off. And... Um, and now uh, it's a little different. Well, you started off, of course, with your, your lifelong favorite team, the Kansas City Chiefs, win the Super Bowl. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, don't you think that 
the glory and the celebration and all that goes with it was cut short for the Chiefs. It's supposed to be about a six-month endeavor. I mean, like the Cleveland mm-hmm. Cavs finally won a title and J.R. Smith didn't put on a shirt for like eight weeks. I feel like the Chiefs celebration was truncated. It was a little bit because, it's, you know, I remember around the time of the parade, yeah, people started feeling ill. Like I know <laughs> no. that like, there was like some, yeah, people started, that's kind of when it started kicking in a little bit. People I know and, and uh, boy, already down, just starting. Let's bring up. it right back up. Let's starting bring it up. up. Bring us up to see what's going on with you. There was so much, so much talk about Ghostbusters, Afterlife. What is the status of that movie and that project? I think it got pushed. It was supposed to open in July, early July. Yeah. And I believe it was, it's now been pushed to March. Um, but it's pretty much done and, okay. uh, and really good. I saw it. Ha- have you seen the whole thing? Mm-hmm. Because I remember once you told me for uh, Avengers Infinity War, or Avengers Endgame, you're like, oh, I haven't even seen it. The first time I saw it was at the trailer. And I wondered yeah. if that was the cool thing to say. Like, eh, it's the biggest movie of all time. I haven't even seen it until I went to the premiere. But you've seen Ghostbusters. I've seen Ghostbusters. I'm, I, I don't think many people have. And uh, it was just, it was because the director sent me a link to it. But um, uh, no, that was true about Endgame. And no one saw it until the... Ah until the premiere, they didn't show the first time that movie was ever shown yeah. uh, to an, any kind of audience was at the premiere. Yeah. Pretty crazy. It's incredible. Yeah. But here's the deal, Paul, I write these questions, Paul, all of them. And sometimes I hold them and I say, this is really hard. They're going to struggle. I think I'm holding an eight out of 10 packet right here. I think this is an eight out of 10. I do. Cause you're a sharp guy. You know, your stuff. How are you feeling right now? I don't know. You know, this is the thing that because it's actually happening. It's like people on family feud. You, when you're on TV, the pressure kicks in in a unique way. And the things you even know, you forget because you're watching. So you're in uh, fast money right now. Effectively what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm going to be Richard Dawson. I'm going to kiss you on the lips. And here right. we go. All right. Paul Rudd, 10 questions. Question number one, your category is television. What's CBS dramedy? follows an outspoken atheist and podcaster whose life takes a turn when he receives a message on Facebook. Oh, God, that's that, that, uh, that one with, like, uh, that God messaged me show. Um, yeah, that, uh, uh, oh, I have to come up with the actual title, don't I? We need the actual title. And Paul, I'm going to let you think about it for a second because I forgot to set the table. We do have something at your disposal called a coin toss. You can use this one time throughout the 10 questions, and I will give you a choice of either A or B. I'll make it a coin toss. This, basically. by the way, is an example of the, yes. the Family Feud thing kicking in. Um, God friended me. God friended me? Is he right? You're right. That's that. Paul, that, that, you're one it kicks in. It kicks in and they like, oh yeah, just let go, take a breath and trust. Trust. You said you know God's it. message God me friend, and I was terrified. No, no. I knew it was a good God message. God friended me. Is the, God friended is the, me oh, right? is the show. Paul, right. you're one for one. You're off, the, you're off the schneid already. I asked you about God for, of course, many reasons, but a couple of years ago, you were at the NFL honor ceremony and you were presenting the MVP to Pat Mahomes. And you told this whole story about the long-suffering Chiefs fan, and you were talking to your son, and you said, God doesn't hate Chiefs fans. God hates me. Mm-hmm. Now the Chiefs have won the Super Bowl. They have the Christ child quarterback for the next 15 years. What is your relationship with God now? Well, it's, it's 
you know, I feel as if he heard me and uh, he must have been watching that show. Yeah. I, I know this. I certainly uh, uh, asked him for a lot of wins around that time of the year. And um, <laughs> I asked her. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, so uh, I feel as, you know, <laughs> I feel like he, she heard me. Although it does seem to be a little presumptuous. I mean, because I would have questions for him with what's happening in the world right now. But I, I got the treat of seeing you see it happen. First person experience. And this is why there's so many actors and, and musicians, whatnot, who go to sports games and they're big into their teams. I really think that you are the number one right now. And, and, and Affleck and his Red Sox and Stephen King and Spike Lee, all of them, total respect. But here's why. In the middle of that Super Bowl game against the 49ers, I was there. I was in the stadium, too. And I happened to meander into one of these rooms, one of these suites where there's a lot of people. I walk into the suite. It's Julian Edelman is in there, just bouncing off the walls. It, Miles Teller, uh, Jeremy Renner, Isaac Gonzalez, all these really cool, successful actors. And then I see you, and you are locked in hands up to your chin like this, no no drinking, no eating, just staring at the field like you had everything at stake and everyone else is partying. You were locked in. Do you remember what that get, felt like? I, I didn't get up from my chair. I didn't even come over and like say hi, hi to you. And, and, I remember. And I, I remember. I waved. Uh, you know, I wanted to, I would have been like, oh, that's cool. I'd like to yeah. meet Julian Edelman. I saw yeah. him, but I'm not, I'm not getting up. No, I was, I was, uh, I, 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 I can only like, I'm, I watched the game. There were my kid who felt the same way. We were just, we didn't, we didn't move. Yeah. I, I, so they're not social events for me. It was no, they're not. It was like, it was work. I felt oh, like you were on was, set or you were trying to stick a monologue or something. It was honestly like, it was the most unenjoyable experience to the greatest feeling uh -huh. at the end. Like it, it was, it was, uh, agony, uh, agonizing, terrible. It just, just, awful to watch and then finally when they won i was it was the greatest thing of all time <laughs> so watching the chiefs because at the point in the game i'm talking about it was wasn't great this was third quarter like the niners were kind of rolling on them you find all the stuff that you've done all around the world watching that game more agonizing than any film set you've ever been on well it's you know i had a moment during the during the the run um, of the playoffs. And certainly I think when I was, when it was going up against the Texans and we were down 24, nothing um, yeah. that, uh, that um, I thought, why, why do I do this? Like, I mean, I'm like a real honest kind yeah. of, I was mad. And I thought, you know, I, every year I have to just explain to my kid who's been a chief's diehard fan since he, you know, he could talk. Um, and he puts everything into it. It's just, Every year, it's like, well, they got a good team, and yeah. next year, you know, it's going to be a new year, and, and and I just thought, like, what what's the point of putting myself and him like through this? All I want is for my son to experience this. I got to experience mm -hmm. it when I was really little with the Steelers when they won, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and and so I thought, why, why do I why do I do this? And 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 so I, I just had that feeling kind of throughout the postseason when they came back and won. I'm like, well, this is why. Because this is the greatest, it's, I just, you know, this is why, but it's, but when it's, when it's down, yeah, it's, it's really rough. As far as why I get so invested, I don't know. It's a really interesting psychological study. I've sometimes wondered why this is. And, you know, when I was growing up, I loved movies and I, I mean, I loved sports as a kid too, but yeah. I really, 
you know, I loved entertainment and, um, and then I made my career in it. And all of a sudden, because it became my job, yeah. my need for drama and that thing that movies seem to satiate, um, was diminished a little bit because I kind of know how things are going to end or it's just the world I work, I live in now. And some of that need, I think transferred over to sports, it, it kind of appeases a, a need for drama, a need for, uh, cheering for something. And, um, and the best part about it, unlike most movies or television shows is you have no idea how it's going to end, which kind of heightens the stakes. And it's also one of the only things, if not the only thing, that seems to be, that can kind of conquer any sort of wall that exists between people. You know, it, it's, it, during, that, during that Super Bowl, I know there are Chiefs fans that, whose political beliefs I don't agree with. You know, the, 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 and yeah, everyone sure. was so excited. And, and you think in that moment, this proves people can be uh they can celebrate and they can get along and it's and the and it can be a happy place and you know and then i just felt bad for 49ers fans i reached out to my friends who were niners fans and said man i'm i i feel bad i'm cheering so much because your team is incredible and it's but that's the way sports is hugging strangers i mean literally hugging them people you've never met before will never see again at a sporting venue it's a top five feeling in life. It's unbelievable. I, yeah. I, I felt it a couple of times too. And I know you had it that night. And yeah. Paul, you're one out of one. We're talking a lot about father and son. So this is going to segue us perfectly into category number two. Category number two today for you, Paul, is children. And your question is, Paul Rudd, you very generously sent my six-year-old a package of Ant-Man toys and gear. It's magic because he believes daddy knows the real Ant-Man, fully believes in it. After playing with his Ant-Man toys, Calvin Brandt ran up to me and asked me, what question? Is it A, can we go to Ant-Man's house? B, can he teach me to talk to ants? Or C, daddy, can you please be friends with Black Panther? Which is it? I want to say that the answer is A. He wanted to come over to the house. He wants to go to Ant-Man's house. Is that correct? That is not correct, Paul. Oh. My, my, my beautiful little son, my flesh and blood, wearing Ant-Man costume, Ant-Man mask, wearing Ant-Man, Ant-Man golden books and an Ant-Man action figure, walks out to me and says, Daddy... Can you please be friends with Black Panther? That that oh. little entitled brat. But we have it right here. See, Paul, I have the action figure. You wrote, you helped create, you starred in the Ant-Man movies. You're the only Avenger who's done that. How, how proud are you of Ant-Man? Oh, uh, uh, very, very proud of, of Ant-Man. And, you know, I, I love the character. I, I, you know, when I first learned about Ant-Man, I thought, what a weird, interesting, funny character, like ability. Yeah. Shrinks and he can t- and he can talk to ants. <laughs> <laughs> That's my superpower. That's Not me. I can have That's laser <laughs> eyes. I can't fly. I can speak to ants. And you liked that. I I liked it because it was a I liked it that it was a regular guy that seemed to be thrown into this extraordinary world and had to try and and continues to have to try and adapt to it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that his, uh, struggles are real and they're human struggles. And, um, and it was funny 
And it was cool to be a part of, you know, such an uh, elite company for sure. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Let me give you a hypothetical. Let's nerd it up a little bit. Let's just nerd it up. You, Paul Rudd, are, you're in a street fight. And you're in a street fight with Tyson Fury and Conor McGregor. And it's going terribly for you. Really terribly. Which one Avenger would you pick to step in and, and help you out in the street fight? Ooh, I mean, I really think any of them would be pretty good in that situation. Sure. Who's I mean, your number you think, one draft pick? Well, here, here's the, the one that, that popped into my mind was, was Hulk. Yeah. I'm just thinking in an actual fist because I've seen Hulk fist fight, you know, but sure. I guess if we're going to try and be a little cool about it, uh, I mean, can I, I would, you know, if I'm going to toe the corporate line, I'm saying wasp. I mean, it's, wasp. she's my partner, right? Beautiful idea. Wasp yeah. comes in and incidentally shares a name with the Kansas city chiefs miracle play in the super bowl. Third and 15, they call wasp. Was that yeah. a coincidence or I'm sorry, I'm not making a joke. Did they somehow, was that attached to you in any way? Cause you've been so identified with the chiefs. Did they call yeah. it wasp because of your movies? Yeah, that's exa- that's exactly why. Really? No. <laughs> I like to I, I like <laughs> I like to think it would be the case, but if that All was right, true, maybe so, they would just say ant. <laughs> right. Let's run ant. But I just thought, you know, when that when I when I learned that play and that it was called Wasp, I mean, yeah. It made it made all of my Ant Man and the Wasp merch that I have in my house seem cooler to to me. So much cooler. Hey, yeah. mine too. Look at this. Yeah, look at that. Um. The same street fight, you have to pick an actual uh, Avengers actor to step in. Which which actor do you choose? Oh, uh, uh, Dave Batista. Oh, great call. What's Batista like? Good hang? Oh, oh. He, the funny. coolest, nicest guy. The, the first time I met him yeah. um, was... Actually, it, during Endgame, when everyone kind of got together for the shot, whenever we're all together in this shot, yeah. and um, and I went over and and he uh, he he said, "Is your suit uncomfortable?" And he asked me as if he was really—I mean, he was genuinely interested and seemed empathetic to the fact that yeah. maybe my suit was uncomfortable. And I and I I said, "There's no way I'm going to ever complain about my suit." knowing what you go through, because I don't know if people realize that the makeup and this, and what Drax has to do to, to put on that makeup, he has so many hours to get into it. And then he has to actually, I think, get into a sauna or something specifically just to get it off. It, it isn't like regular makeup. So I think of everybody, he has it the worst and he would, you would never know. He is never, he doesn't complain or anything. He's just, yeah. He's Dave Bautista is one of those guys that, you know, you meet, you just know, uh, oh, he's quiet and cool and very soft-spoken and can crush you. It comes off that way. I think in opposite order, the crush first. It's funny you bring that up because something you and I have talked about before, you show up to set to shoot action scenes, whether it be in Civil War or Infinity War, and there's Chris Evans or there's Chris Hemsworth these guys are He-Man figures. Right. So how does like funny, cool Paul Rudd fit in with Hans and Franz? How does it work? Uh, (laughs) um, Pretty easily. Yeah. 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 They're, you know, is it intimidating? It's more surreal, honestly. I mean, it's like, 
because they're, you know, they're just actors. Mm -hmm. They're not really Thor and Captain America. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, um, and it's cool, you know, it's cool meeting people who have done things that you've seen and you, you enjoy their work. But, um, I, more than anything, I think it's just a strange strange feeling. Like the first time I met all of them really was on, um, in, in civil war. Yeah. And we were all shooting that scene together. Well, actually the first time I met them, the first time I met a bunch of them, which was interesting, was at a comic-con. I'd never been at a comic-con in my life and Ant-Man okay. had just been announced. So I was at, I, all of a sudden I met, we hadn't shot anything and, but I'm at comic-con and it's a big panel. And I'm there were like all of the Avengers and I've said that that's like going to a music convention with the Beatles. If you want to go to a Comic-Con, try and go with the Avengers. It's an interesting experience. <laughs> but, um, but there, was, uh, there were many times throughout you know, that scene in Civil War where I would just kind of look around and think, man, there are so many people that would love to see what I'm seeing right now. And it's, yeah. you know, we were all getting changed into our suits. They had this kind of makeshift locker room and yeah. and i'm and i'm seeing everyone's kind of getting on their stuff and it, it was like a, it was like a football locker room but it was the avengers and i and it's and uh you know i'm looking on a rack and it's i see sebastian stan's metal arm and then falcon's wings it was it was weird that's so cool. cool and i know that cool. you had worked your ass off too getting in shape, adding muscle, and, you know, so you could fit in with those guys. I mean, Hemsworth's biceps are massive. He's Thor, but you easily could have just said, ah, give me the suit. I don't need to be in shape. But you were ripped for those movies, man. Well, I didn't want to feel like an imposter as much as I feel like an imposter anyway, but um, it's, uh, yeah, you just kind of want to, like, if I'm going to play this part, you kind of have to feel at least not disgusting from any angle they shoot or or just kind of like this schlubby dude. But it was it was interesting. I'd never gotten in shape like that before. The one person we didn't mention, Robert Downey Jr., I think there's this belief with him, I even have it sometimes myself, that he's kind of, in plain Tony Stark, he's just kind of being himself mm. because he's very smart and he's very wealthy and he's very quick-witted. Is that the reality? Or is he actually very different than Tony Stark? No, there's there are some similarities, I think, when hanging out with him. Um He's an amazing guy. I mean, really kind of people are drawn to him. He has this crazy unique energy. He's very smart, really funny and, and, and very sweet, uh, a very giving person. And I, I, I think, you know, this life that he's lived is a pretty full life of extremes. And, and, and with this life has come, uh, a, a knowledge I'm guessing mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and he knows it's like, there are like a lot of kids make a wish. They want to come and say, they want to meet Iron Man. I mean, that's a responsibility and he owns it. And he's, he's really, uh, he's a spectacular person. I'm pretty, I'm really impressed with him. I mean, I really like the guy. And I think everybody, if you asked everybody on that, um, uh, film set, they'd all kind of say like, yeah, he's, he's kind of amazing. Really, and, 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 he, and in that same way, it's like I look at you know he's he's one of those guys. Where it's where do you separate the actor from the part? I mean, who else yeah. could play Iron Man? There's no way. I mean, he's Tony Stark. I can't even imagine anybody else in that part. Does it feel like he's the leader even on set amongst you guys on set uh, month after month? 
Yeah, I suppose. It, I think so. I think, he, yeah. I think that's probably the case. I mean, it, not that he's flexing in any way, but I mean, sometimes when we're, we're all working, he'll say, oh, I'm going to, let's all have lunch and he'll host lunches for us. And he'll do like, he's, he's really? just, yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty great like that. It's awesome. So are you, bud. You are at one out of two right now. You got one point going into question number three. Can't believe I lost the Black Panther question. I mean, that was. I know. Trust your instincts. You got to go with your instincts. My son's a little brat. How dare he? Um, Question number three. Category is Shakespeare. Some people wouldn't like this category, but I think you will. I know you've done theater in London's West End. You are a classically trained actor. Your category is Shakespeare. Here's your question, Paul Rudd. In the tragedy Romeo and Juliet, which character speaks the final lines of the play? Oh, my God. What a great question. Final lines of the play. Doesn't end well, the play. It's no, not, it doesn't end a, well. It's not a good one. I was excited about the Shakespeare uh, category because I'm like, oh, yeah, bring it on. Any of the play. Not just for um, Final line of the... Yes. You still have the coin toss. You're in question three. You're by, you know, 33%. You're on the 30-yard line coming out. After all the hairy business, it gets real ugly. I'm actually, I mean, do the coin flip for this one. Paul Rudd decides to use the coin toss. Let's go. Here we go. He's going to burn on question three. The final lines of the play are spoken by A, the apothecary, or B, Friar Lawrence. you think the apothecary before he did the ta- the coin flip was did come to mind okay but then friars is he there I, i'll go with the apothecary paul red says the apothecary the answer is friar, friar lawrence, lawrence. Yeah. God damn it <laughs> i knew it i knew it yeah. <laughs> as soon as i said i'm like oh no it's friar lawrence <laughs> For never was a story of more woe than this of Juliet and her yeah. Romeo. And when I you knew, said Possumate, I, I said you had it. Damn yeah, it. yeah, yeah. That one. I got to get them all. I got to get them all right now to fulfill yeah. your prediction. All right. You're one out of three. We'll pick up steam. In the meantime, long time ago, a young Paul Rudd was in Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet mm. in 1996. Nights out. You shot this in Mexico City. You're young. It's uh, Leo DiCaprio, John Leguizamo. What was that experience like? What are nights out in Mexico City after shooting with those guys? Well, it was fairly dangerous. They, you know, they didn't, they didn't <laughs> really want us going out. Um, and so, um, it, yeah, it, I mean, I guess we, we kind of did, but we didn't take taxis. <laughs> we, we, there were some of the crazy things where people on our crew kind of were abducted. That happened. Really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've never to be seen. Yeah, and held for held for uh, some uh, some cash until it was it was a rough scene. But um, uh, it, it was you know it was really I shouldn't say it was like it was all like that because we did we did go out we did hang out and um, it was it was fun it was it was cool to be in Mexico it was a great city Mexico City mm-hmm. it, and it was before you know obviously Leonardo DiCaprio really kind of blew up sure. So. Is it true that you and he were in the running for the Titanic role at the time? 
No, no, that's not, that's not true. He no? was, I, I was never in the running. I just had a real interest in it because my father is a Titanic expert. That was how he made his living talking about the Titanic. So when they, when they, um, uh, were announced they were making this film, I, I really wanted to get in on it be, yeah. for my dad, for my dad. Um, but no, we were not, we were not in the running. And then, and then there was a moment in time, uh, where we were, it was at my last day of shooting where we were go- all going out to some, and, yeah. and I in a car with him. And there's, there was a story that came out that said like, Oh, I was the one that talked to me to doing the movie. That's not true at all. But he had been offered the movie. We were talking about it in the car. I said, that'd be amazing. How cool to. Yeah. And, uh, and so it was a, a, one of those moments, uh, where, um, uh, I look back and think, wow, this is a real kind of Forrest Gump kind of moment. How did I wind up in this spot? And you kind of look back and think that was an interesting thing. I was in a car with Leo talking about Titanic, but I hadn't shot it yet. And he wasn't, he hadn't even signed on to do it yet. So. So Forrest meeting John Lennon on the talk show and inspiring the words to imagine you're in a, in the car and DiCaprio's like, yeah, they're offering me Titanic. I think I mm-hmm. should do it. And do you try to talk him into it? Or are you like, I don't know, stay indie, bro. You know, like what, what is the conversation like? Well, no, he was very interested in it. You know, yeah. I mean, he, was, he had done at that point, you know, Gilbert Grape. And he was, a, I mean, yeah. a great actor. Incredible. Sure. And, and, you know, independent film certainly was a viable thing at, at that time. Um, but I remember just having that conversation about studio films versus indie films. Yeah. And, uh, um, but, uh, you know, I remember thinking, well, you know, if you really actually score one of those studio films, you can kind of do more indie films, kind of get some of them made. I mean, I remember like having these conversations, but uh, yeah. yeah, pretty, pretty wild. And then he does it. He becomes the biggest star in the world. Did you see him again? And like, congrats. What do you even say? Yeah. 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 I did. I did. I mean, I've seen him again. I've seen him many times. Um, sure. It's yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's cool. All right. You are one out of three. We got to pick up steam here. All right, yeah, this yeah. is going to be this is going to be a category, Paul, that you love. This this is the fan favorite category. This category is called "Finish This Lyric." I'm going to play a part of a song for you. The song's going to stop on a dime. When the singer stops singing, you have to pick up the lyric where he left off or she, and nail the lyric as it were. This is actually "Finish This Lyric" wedding edition because Brides.com published the top 100 most requested wedding songs of all time. This is going to be number 52 on the list. So again, I'll play it for you. It'll stop, and then you just pick it off. Let's find out what it is. It's going to play, it's going to stop, and then Paul is going to pick it up for the point. Finish this lyric. I stopped an old man along the way Hoping to find some old forgotten words Or ancient to me as if to say hurry boy it's waiting there for you gonna take a lot to get me away from you there's nothing that a hundred men or more would ever do i bless the rains down in africa Is oh that sounds great hit the yeah. song did he get it right hit the song for me give me the payoff yeah <laughs> There's nothing that a hundred men on the market ever do. Tip off. Yes. By the no way, no one uh, has ever gotten a point more than that. 
Oh my also, God. Also really one of the clumsiest lyrics of any popular song. Go on. And, um, Sure as Kilimanjaro rises above the plains of the Serengeti, I believe is the lyric. Sure as Kilimanjaro rises above the plains upon the Serengeti. Serengeti. Yeah. Yeah. He takes Serengeti into like 12 different syllables to make it land. Serengeti. Serengeti. That's the best answer we've had. It's you used to be a DJ. You used to DJ bat mitzvahs, bar mitzvahs, and weddings. When you were doing weddings, what was the song that you just hated to play? Like, God, this song sucks, but I'll just play it anyway because the people want it. The people keep asking for it. Um, well, it's weird. I didn't do as many weddings as I did bar mitzvahs. And the bar okay. mitzvahs, there were, like, I could name five off the top of my head. That what do you I got? Couldn't, I couldn't stand. Um, uh, one, because they just got so old. Stop. One was... Uh, was uh, the uh, right said Fred? I'm too sure. sexy. One was uh, uh, can't touch us. Uh, another another was Moni Moni, yeah, um, uh, by the, the Billy Idol version. And Moni uh, Moni, they would change into dirty words. That's it. I remember that at dances. Hey hey, what what? Get laid, get bleeped, and it that's was right. so badass. You were such a rock and roller kid if you did that. But also, did you ever have the parents get mad at you? Like, what are you doing? Because I remember that sometimes when I would go to parties, the, the DJ would get in trouble for playing that song. Yeah, it was kind of expected, I feel like. And, um, <laughs> and so, I'd pl- you know, we'd play it. And uh, it's like, hey, I, I didn't tell him to do this. This is uh, balls out of my court here. Oops. It is a really bad, bad song, though. So, wait, finish the list. You had Right Said Fred, uh, mm-hmm. and Can't Touch This, Moni Moni, and yeah, you got and there, two more. And, and then there was also uh, What I Like About You by The mm-hmm. Romantics was really... <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, and, uh, by the way, it gives you an idea of just how long ago this was. Um, yeah. And, uh, um, and then... Uh, you know, we would actually always play "Shout Oh to Stay in the Nights." That, that, That's that was great. Another, yeah, yeah. These were these were staples. Did you get sick of "Shout"? A, a little bit softer now. A little bit softer now. Like, or yeah. did you like? Oh, I got sick of I got sick of the job two like two two days into it. Mm-hmm. I did it. For, I did it when I was in school, and it was uh, mm-hmm. on on weekends. But yeah, oh, it was it was uh, you know at your job as a DJ uh, mm-hmm. is to like really get the crowd going and the party sure. going and and um. Inside, I was dying, but on the outside, it looked like no one was more excited about shout than me. All right, well, paint the picture. Are we talking cummerbund? Are we talking gold bow tie? Like, what type of DJ? What, what did you look like? Because I, I, I love wedding DJs. I find them hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I well, I was about twenty-one years old, okay. and uh, um, I got the job because a friend of mine had this job. And I could go to school and work on the weekends and not at the wait tables. And, um, and all the people that were dressed, like they dressed in really cheesy tuxedos. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to wear like shorts and Doc Martens. I'm going to be like uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, and grunge DJ. I, yeah. And my hair, I had hair like down to here, really okay. long hair. And, uh, but I wear a tux for the rest of like the, and um I kind of was like the, you know, I was a bit rebellious on the, sure. on the, but the kids, they loved it, Kyle. I was one of them. They got, they got it. Mom yeah, and dad, plus you play the dad, right said Fred. 
Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Is it, do you honestly, do you think, um, you've had a lot of cool jobs. Do you think that's the worst job you've ever had? No. What's the worst? Uh, the worst job I ever had was glazing hams. I actually, okay, uh, I heard about this. Yeah. How, how do you, why of all things you get into the ham glazing? I, I, I've had a lot of really bad, like lame, bad jobs. And uh, glazing hands, a friend of mine, his uncle and cousins, like they had a, uh, a store in Kansas City that uh, was like they sold hams. It wasn't like a honey baked, but it was like a small kind of like a holiday okay. holiday ham company, I think was the name of it. And um, they needed employees. And he's like, look, you want to come in and you, know, you want to work? And uh, I needed to get money because I knew I was going to be going away to school. And so um, I was like, all right. Um, so I would go in because it wasn't just glazing hands. It was also unloading the trucks, sure. uh, cut, un, getting them out of the cryo vac, cutting them, slicing off the fat, putting them in a thing and get, and then, and then glazing, which was, it was a whole process. It was like from the beginning to the end until it wrapped up. And yeah. And then I just smelled like ham all the time. <laughs> Um, the shitty jobs, uh, DJing and playing, I'm too sexy and glazing hams. And, you know, I know you used to work at a fifties era diner and you w- mm-hmm. went through all of that. Do you think you'd be as good of, as you are at your job right now, if you hadn't done that, is that a myth or did that really, really mold you into Paul Rudd? Great success. Do you think it did? Well, I, you know, when I think back, even, especially with that DJing stuff and also the fifties thing, um, it, it, the one of, you know, the main requirement of the job is regardless of how I felt about doing it, it was, um, I had to do it and it was a bit on display. I was kind of on yeah. display and, uh, and there was also a lot of thinking on your feet. And so, uh, I certainly ha- feel as if I've continued that at ma- many times where it's like, uh, I don't really want to be here doing this. I'm not mm-hmm. feeling it, but I better yeah. fake it. Yeah, certainly like with, uh, not, I'm not saying this, this, not this one at all, but sometimes when you have like press obligations and you have to do like a show or some kind of like interview or anything, it's the last thing I want to do, but you probably wouldn't be able to tell by my countenance and my, my, uh, (laughs) I handle. No, you always look like you're having a blast. And that, and that's exactly what I was doing when I was DJing bar mitzvahs. Right said, haven't heard the last of them. Right said Fred. Um, right said Fred. Here's Paul, an interesting. Two of four. Oh, sorry. Go, go oh, wait. Hold on. No, 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 no. Not a chance. Are we? Not, please tell us the right said Fred factoid. Well, it's not right said Fred. It was. I was. I really more of a left turn into Neil Diamond. Okay, great. I, I was one time. I was one of the very first jobs I ever had, and I was a DJ at a, a woman's. I think it was her fortieth birthday, and okay. uh, and Neil Diamond was a guest, and um, and I just remember. Uh, go, I had to go around to the different tables, say, you know, having a good time. And I went over, Neil Diamond was sitting at a table by himself. And, uh, <laughs> and the, the song that was playing, I believe was, was uh, Wang Chung. I think that was playing at the time. Okay. Um, but because I said, Hey, uh, Mr. Diamond, how, how you doing? To, uh, are you having fun tonight? And he said, I am. And then I just said, well, more importantly, are you wanging Chung tonight? <laughs> and, uh, and I just remember Neil Diamond looking at me really seriously and, and, and said, well, I try and wang Chung every night. And I said, all right. And walked away. 
That's a, that's, a, that's the coolest exchange you can have with Neil Diamond. What a badass. Badass. It didn't even bat an eye. I didn't, knew exactly the tone, knew like it was, oh. you know, a setup and a spike. <laughs> That was awesome. He he did a a Karch Karai beach volleyball. That's right. I Sinjin Smithed him and he Karch Karai'd. Backwards visor, sunblock. That's it. No shirts. Doing hand signals behind your back. We're going this way. (laughs) Uh, Rudd and Diamond just making magic. And Rudd destroying the game so far. You're going to pick up Pete because we're going to question number five in this category. You know what, Paul? This one I think you're going to get immediately. I think this is going to come right out. Your category is cartoons. Question number five for Paul Rudd. What tattoo does Popeye the Sailor Man have on his forearm? Anchor. Done! Yeah! Here we go. He has an anchor tattoo. It instantly... I didn't even finish the question. You knew it, didn't you? I could see it on that... Uh, enormous forearm. That bulbous forearm. <laughs> Giant, deformed Mark McGuire forearm. Sorry, yeah. but yeah. true. <laughs> I mentioned, I, you said the word anchor. Everybody, everybody has their favorite anchor man scene. What's yours? Um, oh, man. Uh, I, I really... I, favorite scene, I don't know. I really laugh when Will Ferrell says milk was a bad choice. I, I just, because I remember when he did it. Yeah. And it was so surprising. <laughs> because we all left the shot as the group, we're all leaving, and, and we all walk right past camera, but Will is standing there, and he's supposed to be yelling at us down the street. And I remember Steve Carell and I standing right there, and Will is right here yelling things out, and he's just making things up and he just took a swig of milk and said milk was a bad choice and i just remember looking at steve carell and he and i looking at each other like trying not to to ruin the take to laugh because it was that's the funniest this is the funniest thing i'd ever heard (laughs) (laughs) this is years and years and years ago now it's and you can still, you go right back to that. You can feel when he, when he has the milk dripping down his chin. I, I so just remember hot. so vividly. Milk was a bad choice. Just such a simple, <laughs> perfect thing to say. Because it, it was really hot. Mm-hmm. It's just like, whoa. I was talking to Kirk Cousins once about this, the Vikings quarterback. And I was saying, do you know already in training camp, like this team's going to be good or like shit, like this team, we don't have the horses. Do you know that? And his, his answer was not really, you don't really know because so many things pan out and you don't know how rookies are going to play. Could you tell on the Anchorman set, this is special or this is, you know, this is a good comedy and it should be fine. Or, or did you know this is actually something special? Well, I know, I knew that it was funny to us. Like I remember thinking that even when I like read the script, I thought, Oh my God, this is the funniest thing ever. And, um, uh, uh, and I thought I knew when we were filming things, certain things were hilarious. Now, how it all plays together, how it's going to work out in the finished product, how it'll get edited. Um, you never, you never really know, but I, like I knew Adam McKay and, and Will and, and all the people involved were incredible and, um, and really funny. And that it was also really different than other things. Um, but I had no idea of whether or not it would be successful. And, and, and it was a movie that actually gained, I think, popularity and success 
uh, on repeated viewings and on cable and stuff. It was, it was, it did okay in the theaters, but I feel like it, it really gained some, uh, fan, uh, fans once it had, you know, yeah. been on cable for a while. I remember I saw it in the arc light in Hollywood with some friends and I mean, we were, we were crying in our seats. It, it was, it was the hardest I've ever laughed in a movie theater at about 50 different spots. I know it went through a million stages of evolution and development. And originally it was going to be newsmen versus apes with throwing stars on an Island. And that's a true story. Mm-hmm. You told me once though, wasn't it kind of reinvented in the middle of it? The whole Panda thing was something that was constructed midway through like, And there was supposed to be a whole nother storyline where, where, Ron goes missing or something. Help me understand what was supposed to happen. There was another storyline that was that that we shot and was that there was this kind of rebel group that abducts Ron. Okay, and uh, and we have to go get him back. And it was all part of the original film, but it didn't. It didn't. Uh, I never saw. I never saw it when it was all kind of edited together. It now it now does exist, and uh, and you can see it in. Um, okay. In, in another version called Wake Up Ron Burgundy. It is out there. But and he uh, goes blind, right? Yeah, it's it's they made it they took it and made another movie out of it. But um um but they they kind of wound up scrapping that and then we did some stuff at the end with the bears. All that stuff with the bears was yeah. came up with a new ending. So it was all kind of uh yeah they they worked on it after like we all kind of came back and did some more shooting. <laughs> There's a line if I'm not mistaken about Ron is so down in the dumps and he's lost his vision. And I think he says that he, he's, he's so depressed that he's blind and I, I can't even masturbate. Oh what, yeah. That was, that was an, that was an anchorman too. And um, yeah, that, that was uh, <laughs> he's living in a lighthouse okay. and uh, yeah. And, and, uh, and he, <laughs> and he can't even, <laughs> that was the scene that, that, I remember in the first one and the second one, there were two scenes that yeah. we could, never could make, make it through. We were laughing so hard. Couldn't even yes. shoot. And that was the one on Anchorman too. And yeah, he's blind and he's talking about, uh, he can't, he can't even masturbate. And we're saying, well, just because you're blind, you can't. And then he, and then he starts and Will is just a genius. He's just yes. seeing things and making it up. And then he had to pleasure himself to the memory of uh, uh, Mrs. Buttersworth's <laughs> the syrup, the bottle of syrup. Sure. And then he said, <laughs> I could go really, I don't know. Do how, it. Not proper, but uh, give it to yeah. me. And then he said, and then he finally was able to figure it out. And, 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 <laughs> and when he figured out, he, na- the amount, <laughs> he said, now I know what those, poor villagers of Pompeii experienced <laughs> when, uh, when they were rained down with hot ash and lava, except in my case, it was not hot lava, but <laughs> hot, frothy <laughs> ejaculate. <laughs> and this is not scripted. This is just, he just starts, he, the hot, frothy. The hot, frothy. And now, and that he knows because the sheer amount is exactly what the villagers of Pompeii experienced. And, and I, and I, I remember again, looking at Carell, who is usually pretty good at keeping it together more than, and 
he was mm. the wor- worst. He was so far gone crying, laughing, but, oh, oh my God. I, you're supposed to stand there and be Fantana and just listen? That's impossible. 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 There are times, there are many times. <sighs> Holy that, shit. That he's really, Will Ferrell is very good at that. He's really good at just holding back and then saying something. And you just hope that there was at least one second of air before the laughter so that it's a usable take because, sure. wow, oh my God. I mean, I, I can think of so many, he said that it's like, that's done. Can't, can't go past it. It's so funny. We're going to revisit this concept. And the last question of the day, I have something planned for that, but let's move on right now. Question number six, Paul, you're doing awesome. You're at three out of five. Right. Not great. Okay. We're at halftime though. You make a couple adjustments. You talk to Andy Reed, you, you get with your coordinators, you figure it out. And I think you're going to like this category. Number six, your category is beer. You know Missouri well. It's the home of Arrowhead Stadium. It's also the home of the king of beers. Paul, what does Budweiser call their signature aging process? Barrel aged, uh, Anheuser-Busch, it's in St. Louis. Um, yeah. I prefer Boulevard out of Kansas City, by the way. Okay. Check it out. Um, uh, Budweiser's signature aging process. It's on the can. It's been on the commercials for decades. I know for a fact you're going to know this when you hear it. Of course I will. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't drink this beer. Um, <laughs> doesn't matter. I should know it. Uh, yes. What do they brag about? This is how we age our beer. I just hear, I can hear the collective people listening to this screaming out the answer. <laughs> Are you idiot, dude? Some guys in his Civic on the 101 right now screaming like, the answer. I think I said barrel aged, which is whiskey, by the way. Um, <laughs> okay. uh, cold filtered. Cold filtered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, say, yeah. What is it? Cold filtered cold. is not correct. The what answer is Beechwood Aging. Beechwood aged. They Beechwood aged. Beechwood aged. You've seen a million Cardinals games where they've ran commercials or a national Beechwood aged. Uh, You're three out of six. And here's the follow-up. I mentioned the aging process. One to 10, how much do you hate the topic of how young you look? (laughs) Um, Well, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's certainly not a bad thing to have people think about you, but I mean, I never know. I hate like, it's like, Oh, what do I say about this? I know. I, I, I don't see it, but I certainly don't feel it. But, uh, uh, well, you know, there's not much you can say. So probably a 10, let's go with a 10. Here's the thing. You're, 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 you're so modest. You're so well-raised. You don't, you want to deflect praise. And I totally respect that, but it's something people talk about all the time. They can't get over it and they do their memes and their side-by-sides and they, here he is in this year and here he is in this year. And then the joke is here's Paul Rudd in 95, 2000. And it's the same picture. And it's actually a really nice compliment. Like you said, it's a Twitter thing that they're obsessed with. Right. And you have this fascinating thing with you too, where even though it seems like, just about all of your peers do. You do no social media. No. Even now when you can use it for a million things, why no social media? Uh, well, a few different reasons. I, don't, I think I'd probably get sucked into it and I don't want more things that take me out of the, my own life. 
I try and make my world a little bit smaller rather than yeah. more expansive. Um, I mean, I'm a fairly private person anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I don't want the, I think it'd be a time suck for me. I'd probably get into it. Um, and, uh, I, I just, um, I don't know. I don't ha- I don't, I, I don't quite get the pub living in public so much. And, um, mm-hmm. I mean, it is part of a, it is kind of a part of the job. I understand. Um, but I'm, I, I don't, uh, I've never been, I felt compelled. I don't, I just, I don't feel like the, the upsides would outweigh the downsides for, mm-hmm. for me. Um, um, there have been times when I thought like, Oh wow, if I had it, I would, you know, say something, I would probably sure. tweet out something, you know, or, or, uh, share some kind of picture or something. But, um, no, I try and I try and make my, my life and my world and everything to be a bit more small. It's funny because it works really well for you. I think I, I remember when I was, I was moving out to Hollywood, I was going to give my shot to be an actor. And my dad has this moment with me who gives me advice. And his advice was, you know, keep some mystery about yourself. You know, don't, don't do all these interviews and don't do these magazines. And the greatest actors, when I was growing up, you know, they would have these mystery and they wouldn't do a lot of interviews. And so when you see them portray a role, maybe you don't know every single thing about them. Absolutely. I think that works for you. Do you believe in that too? Well, I've always believed in that, but I don't think I fit into that category. Um, there are, I've always felt that, you know, the most interesting actors you don't know that much about. I feel as if it's harder and harder to maintain any kind of um, uh, reclusivity or, or um, mystery. I, I don't really try to. Uh, and I also, it's like, it's, it, in a way, like when you get a, it's now if it's like if you have any kind of job, if I'm promoting a movie or, or if I've done something, it's expected. Certainly, there's so much stuff, you have to at least create some kind of awareness. But mm-hmm. it's expected by the studios that you're going to go promote it. Look, if it was really up to me, yeah. I would never do anything. I would never do a show. I would never do an interview. I would never do anything. I don't, it's not really my, uh, Favorite thing. And unless it's like you, you know, you and I are friends and like, yeah. that is, is fun. Sure. I'm, I'm not promoting anything. I just do it. Cause I want to, yeah. you know, love you. And I, I love your show. And, um, but, uh, it, it's kind of, it's kind of part of the gig and I just don't fight it. It's just like, Oh, who's the energy? I, I, as I've gotten older, I've really, uh, kind of, fallen into well just tell me where to stand mode. <laughs> you know it's i just think yeah sometimes it's like all right what do, what do i need to do i just don't overthink it don't care just i'll i'll, I'll do what you need me to do um and think uh, it just has no real bearing on my life life um yeah. but uh but that's yeah that's kind of part of the deal uh, to to do to do a lot of stuff and so I, I do i do i think for my own sanity want to hold on to my own world, my own life. It's my own world and my own life and my own circle is, is not so huge. I'm not so social and it's gotten more and more. So I think as I've gotten more and more well-known, uh, it's shrunk. And, um, and, and so social media falls into that for me. This is not by design. I'm not trying to create, it's, I, I also, I, I just don't think, I really feel yeah. when there's a new thing or there's something that the world is doing. Mm-hmm. 
that I don't take part in it. It's not this con, it's not a conscious thing. It's just, it's an inability. And it's an, and, and as a result, over time, um, I, I feel less and less equipped to kind of function through the way the rest of the world works. Mm-hmm. There is a, there's an entire way that uh, like pop cultural pop culturally or, or the way people talk, the way they interact with one another, the way the world functions. And I literally, I could be like a, a 90 year old man. I don't know. <laughs> it's like the, it's the, it's the definition of just old guy, yeah. a Luddite. But I mean, I was this way, even when I was like 20, I remember like people saying like, Hey, uh, you gotta check out MySpace." Friendster, I remember. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear that. I, I don't like to talk to people I know. Why do I want to talk to people I don't know? Just tell me where to stand. Just, <laughs> Just tell, tell me where to stand, stand, man. That's it. It's beautiful. Question number seven, Paul. We're coming to the home stretch. You are All three right. out of six. Your category here is Aerosmith versus Fresh Prince. Question. According to Pop Sugar, who is more famous, Liv Tyler or Alfonso Ribeiro? Ooh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, Alfonso Ribeiro. He says that Carlton is more famous than the movie star from Armageddon and Et Al. Is he right? Is it Carlton? He's right. It is Alfonso Ribeiro. Why did you answer that way, Paul? Well, I know Carlton is really, you know, obviously a seminal character. Yes. But he hit, he he hits generations. Before he that, he was hawking breakdancing uh, uh, equipment on uh, commercials. Yes. And then afterward, he replaces Tom Bergeron on America's Funniest Home Videos. So he's really in the living rooms of the, you know, all of America. And let me just say, America, America, this is you. <laughs> That's why. I asked about Pop Sugar, famous Liv Tyler, Alfonso Ribeiro. Let me paint you a scenario. You're in a bar back when we used to go to bars with a couple friends. A drunk guy stumbles up to you, taps you on the shoulder. Just for sake of clarity, I'm going to say this is about a 40-year-old white guy. He's drinking a Newcastle. He's wearing a shirt from untuckit.com. He goes, dude. Paul Rudd, man, what movie is he talking about in that instance? What movie is he bringing up that you've done? Most likely. Most in that, the Newcastle, the new if it's yeah, a Newcastle, new um, <laughs> Newcastle, Untuck it, I'm thinking probably Anchorman or okay. maybe, maybe I Love You, Man. Mm-hmm. But it, depending on where in the country, it could be Friends mm. or could be Wet Hot American Summer. I'm guessing it's one of the, it's, it's probably one of those. You think it's geographically based? Some t- yeah, it can be. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned, I love you, man. You changed, uh, you changed air, air guitar, air bass forever, forever. Um, you know, I've always been a proponent of the air bass. I just thought it was yeah. cool. Cause you put your fingers down the slap in the bass scene. It's so funny and so perfect, and it's so relatable. It's one of the things that my friends will text me all slapping the bass man. How did that scene happen? Uh, I don't know. We were it just playing it, and I just remember in college. I think uh, I, I my friend, my friend Guy Garvin. We we do we'd always do we do these monster basses. Yeah. 
and, and doing this stuff is just dumb. It looks dumb. But the slap, it just, I just started saying that kind of stuff and knowing it was annoying. And knowing if you say something annoying over and over again, it's annoying and then it's funny. And then if you keep going with it, it's really annoying. But then if you keep going with it some more, it's really funny. When you um, get to the Borat point of it and you're starting to do a Borat voice and then you're licking your thumb inexplicably. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're slapping that top string. I felt terrible for bass players because they they all say, oh man, you more than one bass bassist has said, fuck you, dude. Really? Yeah. You heard that from Nikki Six? They're like, oh man, you've ruined it for us. You've ruined I never escaped that line. And I feel terrible for it. Well, especially now, if you hear the Rush song, you just never mind. Yeah. It's the great late Neil Part or, or or Alex Lifeson were all fantastic. Everybody starts slapping the bass now whenever they hear that song, and it's just because you got wild. I mean, was that just one take that you just went nuts, or was it over and over? You did it like that. I think we just kind of kept it going. There was a lot of just keep the cameras rolling on that movie, yeah. because a lot of it was. Um, just awkwardness and just if you keep going with awkwardness, it gets even more awkward. So um, yeah, that was, I think we, I think just started doing it and just kept doing it. It was amusing to me. It's funny as <laughs> but, hell. It yeah. changed air bass forever. I, I mean, it almost put air bass on the map for everyone who's playing guitar. And gu- the drums and the guitar are the glory of the air instruments. Bass was underappreciated. Still is even real bass. Yes, even even yeah. actual bass. Actual bass, still underappreciated. Um, so Flea gave you shit for ruining it for bassists. That's that's incredible. Never uh, did. Never had an exchange with Flea, but I would imagine. No. Yeah. He, I don't even know if he's aware of the film. But if he is, then then maybe. Flea, contact us. Let's get to question eight. You are four out of seven. Here's the deal. The record no, I'm doing right terribly, now. Terribly. I'm really not pleased with myself because I'm a competitive person. I know you are. And that's why I knew you'd be a perfect contestant. Four out of seven with three questions left. If you get all three right, you can set a new record of seven out of 10. You have to get all three, though. Here we go. Question number eight. This is a new category on the show. We've never done it before. Cross our fingers. The new category here on 10 questions is what's your line? Paul, do you do you remember dialogue from projects past or is it second you're done with this go out your head? Uh, it depends. Some I do. Some I okay. some I retain, but but. Not all. No, most I don't. Perfect. Let's find out if we pick one where you do. We're going to play a scene from a film you've been in. It's going to stop, much like the song did when you hit Africa by Toto. And when it stops, that's your moment to hit your line from that film. We're going to play this clip. It's about maybe 15 seconds long. You hear a couple of actors. When it stops, you have to hit your line. Play the clip for Paul Rudd. What for? You want to have a miserable, frustrating life? Oh, Josh will have that no matter what he does. At least he knows what he wants to do. And he's in a good college. I'd like to see you have a little bit of direction. I have direction. Yeah, towards the mall. (laughs) He says, yeah, towards the mall. Let's play the clip. I'd like to see you have a little bit of direction. I have direction. Yeah, towards the mall. Yeah. Oh, buddy, you, you dunked it again. Easy. I tell you, easy you know pickings. what? That's one of those God friended me moments where it's just it was it was just somewhere deep in the recesses of my uh, subconscious. Just say it. Yeah. yeah. 
towards the mall. Yeah. I think you were immediately back at the table with Dan Hedaya and Alicia Silverstone, and they're going through their dialogue, and they look to you, and it just came out like like 25 years ago. It was amazing. Boy. Amazing. That's, that's, that's long-term memory. Short-term memory, yeah. shot. But no, forget that. That's, that's going to be one of those, that. like when I'm, you know, a hundred years old, God willing, on my deathbed, I'll just say, yeah, towards the mall. I won't know <laughs> like my children that are sitting in front of me, but I'll remember that line. That was your first big movie. First movie or first big movie? Second movie. First movie to come out. Second movie to make. First right. movie. First movie was Halloween 6. The curse of Michael Myers, right? Yeah, the curse. Yeah. <laughs> so you went from the curse to clueless. Um, I think I only was, did movies that started with C. That was my rule. That's true. That was a steadfast rule. Yeah. But then you ev- eventually broke to it because clueless went so great and went so well for you. I think it was Alicia Silverstone's first movie too. Who would you say between the two of you on set being so young and, and, and so green, who was more clueless? Oh, uh, uh, it's me for sure. I was, uh, you know, I didn't know what I was doing at all. How'd you get there? Like, how, how did the hell did that's a great role in this flashy director, big project, uh, massive uh, movie. Uh, and then how the hell did you, I get had, that? I mean, I, I shouldn't say I had, had some jobs. I mean, I'd done some commercials sure, and, um, and I had done a couple of other things like on a, on television. But uh, I hadn't really done all that much. And I'd been to acting school. I mean, I'd gone to an actual, Mm -hmm. you know, theater school. Um, So I felt as if I was really like, oh, this isn't just accidental. I'm not like, I I just stumbled into this. I was really like working to try and get auditions and all of that stuff. And that was that was just one that I that worked out and I got and I had, you know, had many, many before that that didn't. Um, Yeah. And, uh, and that's how, yeah, that's how that happened. But I had gone in like five times or something for that movie. It's so tough because so, you know, you hear all the phrases about they want a name, they want someone established and you had worked, but you weren't this household thing. And it's a really good part. You get the girl at the end, you get the Aerosmith girl, like the it girl at the time. Yeah. It's, you must've been so perfect in the audition. People try to say, you know, my Hollywood experience was very short lived and I just, you just have to be so good when you're given a little opportunity. You have to be so much better than the other people who are more qualified. And I guess you were. I have no idea about that, but I do know that uh, Amy Heckerling, yeah, the, the uh, woman who wrote it and directed it, um, is she's she's so great and uh, and really funny. And I think, like, I remember in the audition saying something or she said something and then it becomes like a thing with the people who just seem to enjoy the bit it kept going i think it, yeah. i think in the audition it was something i, I was going to do something from king lear or something i, I don't even really? remember exactly yeah i it wasn't what i was going to do but i think i made some lame joke and she picked it up and said something else but i remember clicking with her i remember thinking like she seems really cool i like yeah. her um, and then when I auditioned for it, I had read the script, um, but I didn't, I, I, there were a couple other parts. I'm like, I, can I read for this one? I just asked if I could read for some of the other ones that I thought were really kind of funny. They were smaller parts. Um, but I thought, um, uh, and then, and, and then, uh, and then I didn't get in, get in, 
didn't get them. And she asked me to read for the part that I did get, but, uh, uh, and that was the one I had gone in for, but, um, yeah, I, I, it just, it just, it's just one of those ones that worked out. I remember it too. I remember finally going in and auditioning with Alicia and I knew her from the Aerosmith videos. It's like, whoa, sure, you're I, such a rock I, fan. I'm going to get, I'm going to get to, um, I'm going to get to uh, audition with the Aerosmith girl. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Question number nine. Here's the deal, Paul. You're at five out of eight. Category number nine is baseball. Who hit a leadoff home run in the 1989 All-Star Game? 89? 89. Leadoff home run in the 89 All-Star Game. It was to dead center. Was it Bo Jackson? I handle the questions around here, Rudd. You're responsible for the answers. Is that your final answer? That's what I'll go with. He says Bo Jackson hitting a leadoff home run. Is he right? He is. He's right. Oh, my gosh. He's right. You were at six out of nine. Um, Obviously, we bring up Bo because you're a huge Royals fan. We talked about the Royals have won the series. The Chiefs have won the, the, the Super Bowl. I think about you in sports. Did you? When did you know I'm not going to be a pro athlete? Like, what was childhood uh, Paul Rudd? Um, uh, I knew I was gonna, I wasn't going to be a pro athlete as soon as I could walk. <laughs> At three, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, this is not my future. Now, I mean, I was like every other pro athlete in that when I was a little kid, I was out in the yard and I was playing sports and I was playing football every day, yeah. uh, and uh, I played soccer. Um, and, uh, and baseball, like I loved playing, but I was not good enough. And I had all of the fantasies in my mind. Like I imagined winning the, you know, Super Bowl. I imagined all of that stuff. And it, it, I was, I was an incredible pro athlete in my, um, you know, my fantasy life. Sure. But I knew it wasn't, I knew that was not my future as, as long as I have memory. <laughs> like everybody's first memory is, you know, their, their mother hugging them or, you know, the first time they had a warm blanket. Yours is I'm not playing professional sports. It's the first sentient memory you had. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I, literally thinking this sucks. I know I can't do this. I know that like, I'm not going to be able to make a living doing this. Cause some people it's like seventh the- grade, you know, you're, you yeah. were in diapers crawling, maybe not even walking. Settle debate, yeah. Paul. It's just like a bargument I have with my friends. You've been able to be around some unbelievably, massively successful international movie stars. You are in your own right yourself, but the Brad Pitts, the Caprios, the Downies. What is? What do you think is the best life? Is it massive movie star life? Is it star athlete life? Or is it rock star life? What is the best one? Well, I mean, you you know the. the I don't know what all three of them are like, but, uh, but I would think, um, for, you know, for me, it would be a rock star. I think that would be the coolest. Yeah. <laughs> that's the one. And then, I, so too. <laughs> I mean, I also think it would just be the coolest because from an artistic 
from an artistic endeavor. Yeah. Uh, it's the only one athlete you can do what you do alone, depending on the kind of athlete you are, if you're a tennis player or a golfer or something. But yeah. it's like, if you're a football player, if you play on a team sport, baseball player, you can't do what you do without other people. Yeah. If you're an actor, you really can't do, unless you're like a monologist or, or a stand-up or so. you can't really do what you do without other people. But when you're a musician, you can do what you do, just you. And mm-hmm. so as creative expression goes, and uh, that's got to be an incredibly fulfilling experience. And nobody is ever telling you to cut your hair <laughs> or shave. You can do whatever, no. you can look however you want to look. And that doesn't exist in the other ones. Plus, I would think, you know, uh, Chris Martin, I'm not saying his life is perfect, but when he's sitting there playing piano, he never has Aaron Donald diving at his knees and crushing him. <laughs> that's well, that's for sure. Your chance for injury is greatly diminished. Paul, here's the deal. You've lit the world on fire. You got hot in the second half. You were like Mahomes against the Niners. You dialed up Wasp a few times, and you're at six out of nine, currently tied for the all-time greatest score, heading into our last question. And the last question, as always, is our essay question. Number 10, it's essay. What does that mean? I have a take of yours that I have gone back and I have found, something that you believed in, an opinion. I'm going to present it to you, and you have, I'll take a minute, to defend that take in essay form, however you like, if I think your essay is compelling, I'll give you the point. If I think it is not, you don't get the point and you do not get the all-time greatest score. So Paul Rudd, to set a new mark on 10 questions for high score, here is your essay question. Paul, you once said, one of the hardest things about acting is keeping a straight face while shooting comedies. Now, you are classically trained. You have been on London's West End. You've acted all over New York. You understand the challenges of acting, the craft, if you will, and yet you still maintain that one of the most difficult things is just keeping a straight face while shooting comedies. You are on the clock. Convince me of that take for the all-time score on 10 questions. Well, here's the thing and why this is difficult. I said at the beginning of this uh, show, when your eyes are on you, it affects the way you think. When you're trying to keep it together, if something is funny, you also have a certain kind of pressure, which is if I laugh, the take is going to be unusable. And if I laugh, it's probably because the other actors that I'm working with are doing something really good. And that actor knows it while he's doing it or she's doing it. And they're kind of psyched. It's like, oh, this is, this is going to be good. This is going to make the movie. This is going to, this, this is working. And if the person laughs, it's unusable and it's ruined. So there's an added pressure knowing that if I laugh, I'm going to upset somebody who's done something really good. And it's a little bit like, you know, What happens if a relief pitcher comes in and gives up runs to a guy who's throwing a shutout? First of all, shame on that manager for pulling the starter off the mound if he's throwing a shutout. But it happens. It happens. That pressure is the hardest thing to do in acting. Laugh pressure is the hardest thing to do in acting. The hardest thing to do in 10 questions is to set the all-time leading score. And, Paul, you did it. You got the points. I agree because... 
if you just give a bad performance, that's just on you and it mostly affects you, but you can deliberately ruin someone's gold just because you had too much of the giggles and now it's crap. And if you could have just held it together, you now ruin them. It's not about you. It's about your co-star, your teammate. I think it's a beautiful sentiment. Do you, before we wrap, do you have a strategy you developed over the years to, to avoid this? Is there a lip biting? Is there anything you can do when you're about to lose it? What is your strategy? Uh, I think of the suffering of the Jews. Is that true? I that have. works. Incredible. So dire. <laughs> Are there any bleak. times that that's it's bleak, you? but it, it'll get me to not, to not, uh, no. You think of <laughs> the suffering. By the way, I think I have it at one point. Try to visualize some. This that's going to a dark place, um, but uh, usually breathing and um, and uh, and knowing and feeling the pressure. Like if you just like adjust, like just breathe and let this wash over me. I can keep it going until they yell cut. Can you think of a time when it's miserably failed you? Oh, so many. Yeah. <laughs> so, so many times. Um, there was, I mean, I got to work with Albert Brooks in This Is 40. He played my mm-hmm. dad. There's no, there really are not many, there aren't funnier people on the planet than Albert Brooks. And uh, yeah, he, he was just kind of improvising some things and, and he said something like, <laughs> and I started laughing and, and, and Albert Brooks is somebody, like I've ruined takes of Will Ferrell. He's so nice. He's, he's fine. But, um, but Albert Brooks is somebody that's like, I really don't want to ruin Albert Brooks's takes. I mean, that's a hero. And I, I, um, yeah, so it's happened. It's happened. Most people are, 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 are pretty good with it. I, I, I'm pre- I actually don't do it all that much, but when I do it, I do it. You do it big. Oh, Liz. man. Uh, I probably- Paul, you have finished the 10 questions. You've done it, and you set a 7 out of 10 I'm so grateful. I'm so proud of you. You're the man. How does it feel? Uh, disappointing because I know that I could have gotten at least two other ones. That's <laughs> no, true. You I should really, have gotten I, I feel like I feel like with another shot, I could have gotten ten. Like I'm like I should have gotten ten out of ten. I'm furious. In fact, it's like I'm going to be really mad about the about the Shakespeare question because I know you know that's really uh, uh, and and then um, yeah yeah. So I don't feel good. I, by the way, this this record will last two weeks. <laughs> well, on that note, the last thing we do here on 10 Questions is we like to make a competitive. We like to do call-outs. You are uh, mm-hmm. someone who, now that you've done the format, someone in your mind who would be good on this, who you can challenge. You know, Rogers challenged Ryan Fitzpatrick, a quarterback, and then he challenged James Holzhauer, the Jeopardy legend. So, oh. Paul, think of someone maybe from the sports world and maybe from entertainment, uh, one of each who you just think like they should come on the show and damn it. I bet they beat my seven out of 10 or give it a good run. Sports. Well, sports, the first person that comes to my mind would be Mahomes Cause he's, he's Patrick Mahomes and he's great at everything. Talk to Mahomes. Um, Tell him to come on. Tell him right now. Come on. Hey, Patrick, look, this is come on the show. This is great. You can knock me down. I only got seven. <laughs> it's, it's very beatable. And, uh, uh, plus, I just want to watch you do this. Yeah, we all know. Uh, from the, um, uh, you know who I'd like to see on on uh, on this? Yeah. Bill Burr. Bill Burr. 
Okay. You think Burr would do well? I do, because I think he's, he's very sports knowledgeable. Yes. He's a very bright guy. He's hilarious. I, mean, right. I was going to say Nathan Fielder. And I don't think that Nathan Fielder, I don't know how he would do, uh-huh. but I just love watching everything Nathan Fielder does. Great. We go three deep. Fielder, Burr, Mahomes. Or, or, and also Jack Black. Okay, that's fascinating because I'm a, I'm a huge Black fan. Love Tenacious D uh, going way back. He, yeah. He's a guy who, who might have 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 power. You think so? Yeah, oh, it, a thousand percent. Why yeah. him? What is it about Jack? All the people you know, all the talented people, why didn't his name come out? Um, well, I think, again, smart guy, you know, fan, sports fan, knows, knows a lot about a lot. But um, I also think that Jack Black is, what is, is in rarefied air as uh, just a kind of entertaining and comedic tornado. Yeah. He occupies his own space um, that is never, and I, I've been watching him for, for decades, and I know him. He's the greatest guy. But I have never, ever not been completely awed by Jack Black. And I will say, when people say, who's really funny? Who's really uh, great? What are like some of the great comedic performances? With He's given many, but I look at School of Rock and think that's one of the greatest, that is one of the greatest um, act, actors to characters that you really can't imagine anybody else. I mean, it was, he had a hand, I think, in creating it, but he's, he's just a, he's a force. He does everything perfectly. And I'm just a massive fan of the guy. I am too. For the, for the finish the lyric question alone, just to hear him belt out whatever metal song we would play here, it would be totally worth it. It's a great, how great, great is idea. his, how great is his voice? It's unbelievable. And yeah. all the stuff he'll, he'll sing acapella bars and tenacious D and then his guitar playing. It's so I good. Used, I used, I remember when tenacious D kind of started, I remember going to see him early on before they were even doing the HBO shorts yeah. at Largo in, in, in LA. And yeah. then when they started doing Mr. Show and then, People started, they didn't have an album out, but uh, people knew the, the, the shorts that they were doing at the end of Mr. Show and on HBO. And I remember just watching them perform and watching Jack Black on stage and the entire room was in the palm of his hand. Really? I thought, this is, he's like a cult leader. Oh. This, is in, this is sheer power. <laughs> he's, he's a force of nature. And he's funny as hell. And as funny as he is, he's just as nice. You're the best, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I Kyle. love you. I, I, I respect I, you. I value you. You're the best. I love you, man. I think you're so funny. And I feel uh, as if I need to apologize because I wanted to ask you questions about you, but I know you didn't have the time. Well, I'll be waiting for the Paul Rudd podcast, which I'm sure forthcoming on Spotify. The Paul Rudd show from the basement. Probably will have to wait happen. a long time for that never one. Never happen. That's 10Q. Paul Rudd is the best. You are now chasing him, everybody. Come on the show and try to beat him. We will see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening. Ten Questions with Kyle Brandt is a co-production by Spotify and The Ringer. The show is produced by Richie Bozek, Jason Gallagher, Noah Malale, and Steve Allman. Our theme song is by Matt Schiltz and Bobby Lord. Additional sound design by Bobby Lord. 